0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE.
1: I stepped out of the apartment, what, five, six years old, and something in my gut told me, like, you don't have a family anymore. Like, this is it. You didn't <laughs> you I know. I'm like,
0: <laughs> You're going to make me cry. I can't look at you. <laughs> Hi guys, I'm Val Benson. Welcome to another episode of Too Tired To Be Crazy with me on every Thursday. Obviously, today is not Thursday. It's Saturday. I know. I can count the days. I'm fully aware. Hopefully, this will not continue to happen because I have finally found an editor. So hopefully, my editor, my new editor will help me um, with my editing for these episodes so then I can continuously post on Thursdays without any issue, including when I have other work to do because I'm literally obsessed with you guys. I'm obsessed with this podcast and I want to make you happy and you happy makes me happy. So it works out. Um, Okay. So before we get started, the episode that I have today, it's with a special guest. It's with Christina Shulman. She used to be a contestant on The Bachelor. She's also in Bachelor in Paradise. She's an influencer. She's um, from Russia. Um, She has this amazing story. And actually we recorded this episode the end of 2019, but I wasn't able to get my hands on this episode from my old... um, podcast network until now. And I'm so excited to have you guys listen to this episode. Her story is literally so unique, so amazing. You're going to be crying most likely. I cried on the episode, obviously, because my name is Violet and I cry just who I am. Before we get started, I wanted to talk to you guys about manifestation. And I know it feels really random, but I, I just randomly been thinking about it lately. There is a story about me manifesting my life. And I don't know if I've ever brought it up and maybe I'll, I'll bring it up again in a solo episode, but I don't know why I just felt the need to tell it to you guys now before we start, because I'm, I'm sitting in my house right now and I'm looking at my view and it's so beautiful and it just reminded me of the story that I'm not sure if I shared, but Basically, when we won the green card lottery and I was going to move to the US when I was 14, um, my dad, who had a really, really good job in Israel, he was an engineer. When he moved to the U.S. first without us, so he can like get uh, situated, no one wanted to hire him as an engineer. He was in his 50s. He was an immigrant and his degrees were from another country and he couldn't find a good job as an engineer. So the first job he took on just to be able to support his family for us to move to the U.S. because he didn't believe in getting handouts from anyone is that he decided in his 50s, he started digging graves first. Like so with a bad back, he was digging graves That was his first job that he took on, the only person, the only place that would accept him, that would hire him in order for us to move to the U.S. to live with him. Then his second job was actually um, working for Sears as a mechanic and fixing refrigerators. That story, to be honest, constantly inspires me because even when I didn't get along with my dad, knowing that he was so hardworking, constantly inspired me to really want to work harder, to see how my dad never gave up. And my dad was never too proud to support his family. And he was never too proud to make money. But that is not even about the money. Manifesting part. I just wanted to give you an intro to where we were at. So, anyway, we were not rich because I don't come for money. We were pretty poor. I mean, I would say, but I remember living in America and I remember that my parents, till this day actually, have never been able to buy a house in America, which really bothers me. And of course, one of my dreams is to be able to make enough money to support my family. And I do hope that one day I'm able to buy my parents a house. That is actually a big dream of mine. And we constantly lived in small apartments and I used to be very even embarrassed of where I lived. I remember I I started to make friends who were rich because I wanted to be rich. And that was my way already from the beginning, manifesting this for myself without even realizing because I constantly had this mindset that I will not remain in this lifestyle I constantly told myself I will be rich so I started hanging out with rich people but unfortunately because of my actual situation that I wasn't rich I was even too embarrassed to ever have my friends come to my house and I had moments I would even be embarrassed of having them drop me off at my house I would sometimes have people drop me off at like the Ralph's that was like close to my house and I'd be like oh I forgot I want to buy water or something and then I would walk home from there. And it's so embarrassing to admit that now, because now I look back and I'm like, why did I even care? But that was my situation. I, I recall now when I was young, you know. But I remember when I was feeling down, I would close my eyes and I would imagine this house. And it was so beautiful. It was spacious and had big windows. It was on a hill and had a beautiful view. So whenever I was in a bad mood, I would close my eyes and I would imagine this house. And I imagine myself living in this house. And I kept telling myself, when I'm 30, I'm going to buy a house on the hills, with big open windows and a beautiful view. And I literally thought about maybe for five years, whenever I was going through something bad, I would close my eyes and I would imagine this beautiful house and I felt at ease. And I did not realize what I was doing, which was me manifesting my life by hanging out with rich people and having a rich mindset or by closing my eyes and imagining this beautiful house, pretending I'm already living in it and told myself when I'm 30, what happened, I was manifesting it. And I didn't even realize it until I completely forgot about that dream of mine. And one day when I was 30, I bought a house and, um, I didn't even think yet about the dream of mine until I was sitting on my balcony, enjoying my view. And that's when it hit me. Holy shit. I manifested this house. I bought a house at 30, a house on the hills with a beautiful view with big open windows. I literally bought my dream house that I manifested for years. (laughs) Whenever I was feeling my lowest and I would close my eyes and I would feel at peace knowing that one day I will have this house. I bought it. And I love moments like that. But it also showed me that manifesting something that you actually start to believe could be yours is a real thing. I was in this beautiful house and I did get to buy my first house as an immigrant. And to me, that's my biggest accomplishment, especially because my parents were never able to buy a house here. And to know that as an immigrant that doesn't come for money and doesn't have connections, you can still somehow make it in your life if you put your mind to it and if you pray and if you work hard and if you manifest it, it can actually happen. I think that is kind of amazing and kind of inspiring. Even to me, I was so inspired in that moment. Well, I can't wait till the day that I'm going I'm going to continuously manifest buying my parents a house and I can't wait till the day that I actually do then that's going to be the happiest moment in my life but until then I hope that this story inspires you guys to continue to pursue your dreams to continue manifesting even if people tell you that you can't I remember with my family they always made used to make jokes like oh Violetta's the richest one in our family oh Violet is so rich Violetta's the only rich one in the family when I was younger and I because I was always acting like I was rich but it's true. When you keep acting like it and you keep believing it, you bring it to the universe and it can happen for you. So don't give up. Manifest your dreams. Don't listen to other people that think something's not possible because it is. And you can make it happen. You don't need connections. You can be an immigrant. You can come from nothing and you can still make it if you work hard and if you believe in yourself. So hopefully that was a little inspiring for you guys. Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hi, Sugar tits. <laughs> I'm Violet Benson. Welcome to Too Tired To Be Crazy with me on every Thursday. Today, I have a special guest. Her name is Christina Schulman. Hi,
1: guys.
0: They say your last name, right? Shulman, yes. Because I'm Jewish, so. <laughs> so um, a little bit about yourself before we start. You were a contestant on the 21st season of The Bachelor. You were eliminated week seven. It was on Nick Vi- Vial's show. Shout out to Nick. You then went to Bachelor in Paradise. You were in season four. You left after week three because you couldn't find love.
1: Was that? A- oh, yeah. I self eliminated.
0: Okay. And then again, you self eliminated on season six of Bachelor in Paradise and you left week, week five. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the interview is actually about something really cool that you told me about some stuff about your life. And I was just like amazed your cool story is that not only are you from russia you have a really mm-hmm. sick background not sick but you have a very like um serious type of background that's unique and your story is a
1: little different than mine or from other people because it's so personal to me and i want to share it because um the messages i've gotten after i shared it probably two three years ago was overwhelming in the positive light and how it uh, inspired so many other people and families i grew up in russia and I was in Russia till I was about 12. But in those 12 years, I was in an orphanage for about seven, eight years. I have a sister who was in a different orphanage. Uh, Biological sister? Yes. Okay. As far as I know. Biological sister. Okay. She was in a different orphanage. I barely kind of saw my mom whenever I was living in a, in an apartment with her. And she was always out doing something. And I was left alone just roaming the streets or doing my own thing. And one day she was so proud. She said, "I'm going out. I'll have food when I get back. Don't do anything. Don't eat anything." And I said, "Okay." And she said, "Here's the like. You'll be staying with this neighbor." And I said, "Okay." Neighbor and I uh, spent the day. We ended up going to the store, getting some food, making the food, eating it. I kind of felt guilty deep down because my mom asked me not to because she was so happy and proud that she's going to feed me finally. That but I was hungry, so obviously I ate. And then when she came back, I remember it being sunset time and she was walking towards me. She was holding something, I believe it was a jar of pickles and something else. We started walking back to our apartment. And when we got in there, she said, did you have anything to eat? And I contemplated, I was like, do I lie? Do I tell the truth? And I decided to tell her the truth. I said, I did. And I don't remember if, whether she slapped me and said, go in another room Or she just said, go in another room and get out. But I remember being hysterical. And I said, thought to myself, I'm going to go in another room and get out. And I remember laying down. It was a couch. And I lay down this way. And she walked in and screamed, get out. And so I I stepped out of the apartment, what, five, six years old. And from then on, something in my gut told me, like, this is it. Pretty much like you don't have a family anymore. Like, this is it. And I was in shock. And I remember uh, my 10 11 year old neighbor coming down and saying who lived above me saying you can come stay with me for just a little bit till like everything settles down obviously more like child language Mm -hmm. for me to understand and whatnot and for some reason i said i don't know i can't something doesn't feel like i can stay here anymore and then we sat there for a little bit and looked out into the distance and there was a crowd of people around this car and we decided to go check it out well It was a police car something else happened down the street and then the police i think it was a police woman she saw that two young kids just roaming around and she asked us to come into the car and she said what's going on and that's when i told her what happened and from then on it was a little bit of a blur because i don't know how many days it took or how whether it was weeks and i remember being in the police car there was uh, the front, I was with the police officers. I was in the back, and there was a, something blocks off because my mom was behind me, and she was trying to talk to me, and the police officer said, said, don't talk to her. And I was like, whoa. It's like, this is my mom, and I can't talk to her, in my mind. Um, I remember being at a police station. I remember my mom walking out. For some reason, she had a bruise. But not to say something happened at the station. It may have happened before she got there. For some reason, I remember that portion. Then I remember being placed in this kindergarten at the time. And I don't know how long I was there, but I remember being taken out again and then placed in there after like a week or two permanently. And then I was in an orphanage since then.
0: Did you ever regret walking to the police? Did you ever think that maybe you could have stayed with your mother or you really just felt in your heart that when she told you to leave, she meant
1: it forever? At that age, I had to, I feel like I had to really, really rely on um, my gut feeling and the intuition at that point. As weird as it sounds, I think that was my mode of survival because she left me so often. Maybe deep down I felt if I stayed or went back, what else could happen? Something traumatized me from staying around. Whether it was her hitting me or something because like I was scared. And I don't know, something deep down said, like, you can't go back in there. Was that
0: the same day that your sister was also get taken to an orphanage, or was that later on that she was
1: taken? So my sister and I have been separated at this point. Um, I didn't know till I read the adoption papers that my parents, my biological parents, weren't together, and I was living with my mom. My sister was living with my dad, and probably like two hours apart in different cities. And when I was taken, I had no idea what was going on with my dad or my sister. And then I think within a year or two years, my father came to visit me in an orphanage. And I don't remember asking about my sister or anything of that sort. But uh, from my understanding, she was taken a year later from my dad, placed into into an orphanage.
0: So it seems like you almost made the right decision with where you guys were going the same path. Um, so basically you grew up with your biological mother until five years old, then you were placed into an orphanage and foster care and all that until you were 12. And then when you were 12, you were adopted by an American family and they took you to the US. Um, I was wondering what it was like growing up in foster care, an orphanage and foster care, is there a difference?
1: No, well, there is a difference, but in Russia, I didn't have foster care. It was just orphanage where I lived with 81 other kids. Like, ages from, I think, 2 to 16, because at 16, you left the orphanage. And then I came to my family's home, and I stayed there.
0: So in Russia, so, you leave the orphanage at 16?
1: My orphanage was set up that way. We finished school in ninth grade. We went into a big city. Or if you had family, they come take you. But I just knew... My time was creeping up like I had four more years to decide what is it that I wanted to do with my life.
0: With your age, getting
1: older and older, getting
0: hitting 12, did you start to feel that um, were you slowly giving up on being
1: adopted by that time? Absolutely. I saw uh, some of my friends get adopted, whether it was by families within Russia who worked for the orphanage or my parents adopted three kids before me. So at the time of their adoption, I was 10 years old. And I was like one day I just remember sitting on the windowsill in Russia, you know how the windows are? Mm-hmm. There's like a little windowsill. And I would just look out the window and just daydream about when they have a family being able to riding to ride a bike or just be adopted, not live the life that I
0: did. Were you jealous every time you saw some, some one of
1: your friends in the orphanage, like get adopted, get picked? I don't know if jealousy is the right word. Maybe sadness. I mean sure sadness because some of the kids had family come and visit them, and it I just didn't have cry. it. I know I'm like <laughs> you're gonna make
0: me cry. I can't look at you. <laughs> <laughs> you're
1: making me cry too. <laughs> okay,
0: sorry. But it's just
1: I would see um, family family members come and visit their children, and some actually like parents would get better and they say, "Hey, we're sober. We're going to come and take our child," and it just it wasn't happening for me.
0: Yeah. And one thing I think that a lot of people are not aware, and uh, I read a lot of studies yesterday about, and I was texting you how much I was crying just reading all these the morning, studies. Guys. <laughs> I woke up, I was like... Well, it's it's much more common to be adopted as an infant, as a baby. Yeah. And um, the percentage, it goes down. It's it's You have less of a, of a chance to be adopted the older you get and even much lower chance to get adopted when you hit your teens. And 12 is pretty much close to your teens. And most of the time when you even do get adopted in that age, a lot of times the families return the child back to the orphanage and to the foster care. People are not aware of it because older children tend to exhibit behaviors such as problems with bonding, attachment disorders, defiance of authority, stealing, long-lasting mental trauma, and acts of violence. When you were at that orphanage, did you ever see some of your friends get adopted and then get sent back? Or was that never the case for you? I don't know if I
1: was long around to see that happen. But I can definitely say that all those behaviors that you mentioned are true. I mean, of course, in some shape or form.
0: Growing up in foster care, do you feel like it made you have a different outlook on what love
1: is and the definition of love? I'll speak on, I guess, the orphanage because that's all I knew. Yeah. I think foster care is a little bit different. I think you have different... Um, hopes when you're in foster care because you almost have to be on your best behavior so you can get adopted. In an orphanage, it's either you're in an orphanage, go out, or you're adopted where it's like, you know, that's supposed to be permanent. Yeah. If that makes sense.
0: Growing up in an orphanage,
1: what was your definition of love? I wanted to bond. I wanted that uh, person show they love me or just care for me or just recognize that I am lovable. And Mm -hmm. I was in an orphanage with um in my so you were separated into groups based on ages and mine was i think 12 and 13 mm-hmm. and there was about 14 to 15 of us so one teacher had to basically share their love amongst 10 to 15 kids kids and that's hard to do so sometimes like i would i wouldn't say latch on but i would get closer and just love them so they can love me oh of course you form your best friends and i think i became really close to kids my age and they became my family more so than adult figure
0: how does the adoption process work especially when it's the adoption is coming
1: from um another country i don't think i can uh speak on it fully with the knowledge that i have because i was 12 years old and right. how it worked for me i believe my parents visited they expressed interest in adopting me and i believe they give Parents, six months to come forward and say, No, I want my child, whether they're sober, whether they're stable enough to do so. So mine didn't. So they
0: reached out to a biological mother and let, let her know that you have six months now to decide whether or not you want Christina.
1: I would assume that's how it's done because I did end up meeting my father. Like I was in an orphanage early on and then he came and visited. And then five, six years went by and I was kind of thrown into this well, here's your father, you're getting ready to be adopted see if you have any got it anything in common at this point so I did meet my father and he just seemed like a stranger after all those years and I think I was a little bit resentful because knowing that he was alive and I was in the orphanage and never came to visit me or want any contact and of course I can think like maybe there was no way of finding out communication or any of that
0: how long was the process of the, um, adopt? So it's, it's six months gap of you knowing that this family may take you and your real parents, your biological parents may also take you. And it's just like, is that it? Is it six months? And then you get, um,
1: you get to go with the American family or was, did it take longer? Do you remember? I, th- I think this is, I think that's how it goes. Because when I was initially being considered to be adopted, I had no idea that my biological parents had six months to come and claim me basically. Right. I was, I found out about that afterwards. So from my initial meeting with my parents now, I thought I was going to get adopted if the judge said so.
0: Were they the first family to, to decide to, um, to consider wanting to adopt you? Was that the first family you met? I mean, there was
1: a talk kind of, oh, one day I want to adopt you, but it was just converse, uh, casual conversation. It wasn't like, I'm seriously considering. It was somebody from within the orphanage. Oh, got so it. when my parents now that came, I said, this is actually a real possibility.
0: Did you only meet them one time before you ended up then um, moving with them or was it more than once? I've
1: actually, they've come uh, to the orphanage in 2001, 2002, I think uh, when they adopted the three kids before me. So they, so they kept going to the same orphanage, I mm-hmm. uh, got it. Because my mom used to work for the university and uh, I believe she did research and got a grant to go to that part of Russia. And there were about three different orphanages in that area and they stopped at ours. We played bingo, once some toys. It was really exciting.
0: So your wish almost came true where you saw that family come adopt three other kids from the orphanage and you look through the window and you're like, wouldn't it be cool if one day I got adopted and then something happened and the stars and the family came back and we're right. like, we want you.
1: But what are the chances that uh, they just adopted three kids? And it's like it's a, one in a le- once in a lifetime thing. Yeah. And especially what are the chances to come back to the same orphanage, same family adopting someone else? Yeah, it's, it's crazy. It, it What's also, I remember, I had a dream at some point that they were going to come back and they're going to adopt someone else. And one of the girls uh, that was adopted was going to be with them. And I think months went by, I was like, oh, that was th- just a dream. And then it just like happened.
0: <laughs> that is pretty
1: crazy. Yeah.
0: Were your friends at the orphanage really happy for you when you found out the day that you were adopted?
1: I think happy and sad, just because with the some of them, yeah. we've been together for what five, seven years growing up. It's just, you're always 24 seven with each other. You're sleeping in the same bedrooms, you go to the same school. It's basically parting ways with your family and, and not knowing if you'll ever see them again.
0: Did you stay in touch with any of them when you first
1: moved to the US? So not first when I moved, just because um, Russia is a little bit behind in technology and that sort. And I had no idea how to use a computer or a telephone at the time. <laughs> we were still using, uh, what is it, dial? The, the dial telephone thing. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. I don't know yeah. what it's called either. <laughs> but eventually when I learned how to use the internet, be on it and look up people, I ended up reaching out. I think they did too, especially post-show. But I was
0: going to say, if anyone reached out to you after you were on The Bachelor.
1: Yes, it was It was a, a flood of messages and support and just how you do doing. I don't know how they heard about it, but it was amazing. It's slowed down now. And I think it's because of me. I do carry guilt with that just a little.
0: I was going to say, did you ever feel guilty oh. that you got to leave the orphanage and some of your friends had to stay when you knew that the cutoff is 16?
1: Um, absolutely. I felt guilty. I, I don't know how to explain it. I know. I understand. So
0: you were feeling joy and guilt. <laughs> so if you're going to cry, you're going to make me cry. Well, I mean, you were, you're were you so, I mean, still, you're so lucky that um, that happened. Did you, it's okay. You don't have to feel I guilt don't. as you're crying can you, you remind me and explain to me what happens in Russia when you, at sixteen, in an orphanage? What a teacher told you
1: that was going to happen yeah. to you. Well, it's like, sorry, wow, my makeup's gonna be all it's okay. Off. I
0: wish I had tissues. <laughs> or someone. Well, I wasn't expecting to cry.
1: Anyway, so at my age, twelve years old, the orphanage is all I knew. I like literally, we had a world map, and I just knew where Russia was, and that's where I was. And when I was getting adopted, it was. It was hard because I had a photo album where, like, my family's home and where I was going, and I knew that they adopted three kids before me, so there was familiarity there, but it was still a decision I had to make without knowing anything about the place I was going to go to. But for some reason, deep down, I said, it has to be better than where I have now, just knowing when kids le- leave at 16 or whatnot, like, what happens to them, the lifestyles they live. And I did not envision that for myself. But I was still scared it might happen just because.
0: Because the teacher told you that you have to make a decision of either going to the U.S. or staying in Russia. And what what she said.
1: I know, I was getting there. (laughs) Um, No, for a 12-year-old mom, she said, if you think of it this way, if you stay in Russia, your life will be in black and white. If you go to America, it will be in color. And I would say that was my decision-making point i said you know what that makes complete sense for someone like me because she's lived her life in russia she knows that maybe when you get to 16 or 18 what your life is going to look like unless what
0: would it look like
1: again I i can only speak on what i've known and remember from the girls times may be different now so i don't want to categorize all 16 18 year olds but i mean prostitution is an option and i don't know somehow you need to make ends meet right when
0: you were going to live with this um, family were you scared at first was a hard was a hard adjustment for you to be like okay these are the people that i'm supposed to love now did they feel like strangers
1: to you at first absolutely i knew they're good people and they were always so nice so welcoming and the way they carried themselves i was in awe and when they came and expressed interest in me i knew it was going to be a good family but i was still scared scared to go to a different side of the world where I was like, where am I even going? And my parents will tell you that for the following 10 to 12 days, all I did was cry and did not talk to them (laughs) just because I was so sad. And I watched Harry Potter on repeat and watched pictures like a slideshow just on repeat for 10 days. And I think my parents were very understanding that they knew it was going to be a phase that I have to go through and I have to feel. And then when I get to...
0: Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Speaking of your parents that uh, were kind enough to take you to their home and, and three other kids who were also, I guess, I'm assuming weren't infants when they first adopted them. No, we're, were they not able to conceive? What was their decision also to want
1: to adopt older kids? Like, So my parents had four of their own kids and... They, whenever their mom and dad went to Russia, they decided to adopt three more. And then two years later, they decided to adopt me. And that's why I am very amazed and thankful just to know two individuals with such big hearts to be able to.
0: So your parents open. have eight kids? Eight kids. Mm-hmm. Wow, where did you so, move in the U.S. with them? Um, Kentucky. You guys live in Kentucky, okay. Um, I mean, was it a culture shock to you, a forget from the fact that you not only adopted to a new family and you had to have new siblings, it almost felt like a new orphanage, but with parents this time. It was also a culture shock because you moved to the
1: to U.S. Like, did you even speak English? So I did not speak any English. <laughs> uh, we had a translator in Moscow because the official adoption went to in Moscow, I believe. And we had a translator there who was so nice. And he said, Just wait, you'll get to America and in three months, you'll be speaking English, you'll forget Russian. I got angry at him. (laughs) I I was so upset. I said, don't tell me like I will never learn English just because I was not ready to part ways with Russia, Russian language. Yeah. Just because I just said goodbye to my family, basically. Are your parents Russian? No, they're American. My family in the orphanage. Kids. Right. No, my parents are American. Okay, they're Jewish, but they're not Russian Jewish.
0: No. Okay, got it. I wasn't sure. Okay. So they don't speak Russian. No. But they adopted four Russian children. Yes. Wow, that's so (laughs) So interesting. That was uh,
1: that was definitely an adjustment. But yes, I was coming through Miami and I saw palm trees for the first time, and I started crying hysterically. I said, "I hope where I'm going, there's no palm palm trees, because it would have been too drastic of a change." First of all, I'm learning a new language. Second. Well, well, first, new family. Second, new language. Three, too much No palm trees. Yes. I can do a new
0: family, I can do a new country, but palm trees, that's where I draw the line. No. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Take me home. I mean, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, what is happening? At what point did it suddenly start to feel normal that you were a part of this family?
1: I think as soon as I got home and I said, this is it. This is my life. The three kids that were adopted before me, they were at the house and we spoke a little bit of russian we weren't really allowed to just because my parents wanted me to learn english and they did a great job with grammar well i hope (laughs) we didn't really speak russian in the household with the other three but when we did it's like they would speak amongst themselves and i think i felt left out a little bit the other four that my parents had of their own were already out of the house so at times i felt like i they didn't have anyone. Were you at first when you
0: came to the house, did you immediately feel like this is it and you're going to stay there forever? Or did you have any type of fear in your heart? Like, what if they won't want you? Like, what if they'll return
1: you or, or what if they won't love you? I, it never crossed my mind to return me. First of all, I didn't even know that was a thing. I felt like if you're getting adopted, this is it. So maybe I had that kind of security. Thank in my God. Mind. Right. I just wanted to be a good child and knowing that they adopted others before me like they they want to do well in this world and they want to help and
0: well I think it feels like you grew up really fast at even Mm -hmm. at a young age like even at five years old you said how your brain was like okay this is what I have to do so it seems like you're always fending for yourself and that's a skill that you have to learn so I don't think you even understood at a young age that you developed such a skill where you were constantly protecting yourself so I think that explains why you moved to the U.S. and um, with your new family and unlike a lot of other kids. Okay. I don't even know if you even are aware of how your brain literally works where it's kind of like you adjust really quickly and you're like, OK, this is my new life. What's mm-hmm. next? And that's that's really amazing because I think that's what you were able to at 12 years old to adjust to a new family and to adjust to a new home because of who you are as a person.
1: I really appreciate you saying that because there is truth to that, but there's also this other side where it makes you so independent that it makes it hard to, I guess, open up and let people love you. And I think that maybe one of the things that I didn't fully allow my parents to do is to love me because I was unfamiliar with the feeling. I wanted it, but I was unfamiliar with what it's supposed to be like.
0: Well, a lot of times people in general tend to give the love that they know. So when you grow up not knowing what real love is, you won't know what it is when people try to give it to you. Like right. how do you, like how do you know what love is if you've never had it before? Right. So sorry, I'm gonna start crying thinking <laughs> about true. it. It's true. I think your parents with adopting three other siblings, they they had an idea of what it would be like. So I don't think I think they knew that the way you gave love, that that was the best way you knew how and you were growing into it. You know what I mean? Do you call your parents mom and dad? Mm-hmm. Did it was an adjustment for you? Were
1: you first calling them by their first name before you changed to mom and dad? Maybe at some point I did call my dad <laughs> by his first name. And then I was like, wait, that sounded w- weird saying it. And
0: Do you like, feel like you wanted a family so bad that it was such a quick adjustment for you to start calling them
1: mom and dad? That's a good question. I think everything was so unfamiliar, but I had to break the barriers and just start uh, saying like, oh, this is mom, this is dad. Because like in Russia, you called someone mama and papa. But I started calling them fairly fairly quickly, mom, dad. I was scared to say, okay, hello, hi. The simple things, I didn't know English. Oh, I wanted to quickly touch on this. I did a podcast uh, a little bit ago. When I moved to America, I didn't know any English. And I didn't learn the alphabet until I learned the colors. And the interviewer asked me, do you realize you said your life in Russia will be in black and white, in America will be in color, and you came and you learned colors first. It oh, did not register initially.
0: That's so poetic. That yeah. Wow, that's so sweet. Yeah. I love that. Um, were you thankful that you had your adoptive siblings? Did it make you feel a little more at home knowing that they went through the same struggles that you did versus like coming into a family where it's biological siblings and then there's you?
1: I think um, it was a little bit different. I knew I was coming in knowing that I'll see familiar faces, but at the time, I think they were still very much, they're the siblings, and I was coming into the home. I remember my parents' biological kids were very welcoming. Oh, um, More than the other ones? At times, I'd say so. And I don't know why. I'm not trying to hold any grudges or resentment. I'm just trying to remember how it was, even though the first two years of my life in America were very much a blur. It's the language barrier. It's learning the culture. It's everything i I thought i would be a little bit i'll transition a little bit easier given that i had the other adaptive kids
0: did you have moments in that household from the beginning up until even now where when you were in that home and you felt like jealous of the the siblings that were born into that family or did you ever have moments where you felt like alone or different or like you didn't
1: belong in that house i think naturally yes sometimes Just because I couldn't comprehend the idea of being in someone's family. And again, I think it reflects back to me being kind of closed off, not necessarily resentful, but like independent. And I'm like, why does this family want me? Why do they want to love me when nobody else wanted to, if that makes sense? So naturally, naturally, it's something I had to learn and go through.
0: Did you ever have any arguments or fights like any normal teenager with their parents and then you brought in that? You, you brought in an argument where like, you're not even my mother, what do you know? Or no. you 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 were so thankful you never said yeah, something I've like ne- that. Yeah,
1: I've never said anything like that. Because it <laughs> just doesn't feel right. I mean, here's someone who wants to provide, give you a life that like you never would have imagined. And you just can't disrespect someone like that.
0: Were there moments in the household where you
1: felt incredibly loved? I think the older I got and started recognizing what love is and everyone has different way of showing it is when I, I was like, oh, that was act of love and I didn't recognize that at the time.
0: The first time your mom
1: or your dad said, I love you to you, did it hit differently? Did you believe them? I'm trying to remember because I think they always had this welcoming, warm, we love you. But I was like, well, how, how do I take this?
0: Right, yeah. how did you take it? I'm not sure, I think I was scared. But eventually when you probably start to notice that they meant it and they're not
1: going anywhere, mm-hmm. you started to open up and you start to believe it. Yes. I think it was very, very soon after I recognized, like, what does that, but It's. it wasn't, I don't think there was a time, hey, we love you. It was more so as soon as they thought, hey, we're going to adopt you and we want you to be part of the family. It's like, this is love. It was, a, it was almost like unspoken.
0: Has your definition of love changed over the years?
1: I mean, I know more so now what it is and, and what forms it comes, like, whether it's from a friend, a family member, or... Significant other, obviously. What is love to you? Whoa. (laughs) What makes you feel the most loved? Someone who is consistently showing their love, well, their support and just like, we're not going anywhere. We're not going to like leave you. I know how I show love. So it kind of caught me off guard. How do I feel loved? I know how I give it.
0: Okay. So that's also how you feel loved. Someone who won't abandon you. Right. Do you feel loved in this very moment? Yeah. Oh,
1: don't cry. Oh, Sorry, I didn't mean to. You're make really you cry. making me cry here. I'm, I'm so out. sorry. <laughs> you leave. I'm sorry. Do you yeah. need a tissue? No, it's gonna dry out dry <laughs> on my
0: What is your favorite, most fondest memory growing up in your in that household?
1: I have a couple actually. When it did snow in the winter, dad would always uh so we have a hill in the mm-hmm. house, like our house sits here and we have a hill. And we would just tie up the uh, snow in and just dad drives down and it's like he'll take a churn and we'll just like whip the slide sled around, Aww. which was it, there was enough like land to do that other times i think a lot of memories come from doing stuff around the farm with dad it was like a bonding time so whether it's fixing fences mowing the grass head stick patrol where branches picking up branches
0: wow so like very wholesome family <laughs> moments That's, who are you closer with your mom or
1: your dad i'm close to both but i think um like talking to mom more so and i think dad hears it and gets on the phone too. It's just, I think naturally everyone, well, majority of people maybe go towards their mothers. That makes
0: sense. Did you often feel the need to express to your parents how thankful you are um, to be in that home and for what they've done or? I didn't didn't feel the need,
1: but I wanted to, I wanted them to know that I am very much thankful and um, I don't feel like I'm indebted to them Look like forever. But I do want them to know that I am very much thankful to be here.
0: Right now, during this interview, and then also, like, um, interviews that I've uh, watched of you, you said how um, the people you admire the most are both of your parents. It's, it takes a lot to—it takes a big heart to open your home and your heart to not just one, but four mm-hmm. adoptive children, not— babies, but like literally close to their teens. And I do think it's one of the most beautiful things in the world. If you could say a few words to them right now, what would, it, what would it be?
1: I love them first and foremost, and have been in the household and known what it takes, the strength it takes and the love it takes to raise kids that were not there from birth is beyond me. It's, it's incredible. And again, it takes a huge heart. Are you close yeah. to all your siblings? I wouldn't say all of them, just because there's a major like age gap, and some of them I've never lived under the same roof with, just because they've already gone to college and started families. So a couple of them I do feel closest to. Are you
0: closer with the adoptive kids or the ones, the biological kids? I feel like I'm saying
1: the, the terms wrong, and I'm so sorry for that. No, no, no. Um, I think my parents' biological kids. I'm just. I know I keep saying biological, adoptive, just because I want to protect their privacy and not mention names. No, of names. course. Have you been back to Russia since you moved? I have not, not yet. Do it's you weirdo- ever want to go back to Russia, Absolutely. to the orphanage you're from? So I think my one of my long term goals just to it would be to go back, whether it's to reunite with my. biological family, my sister, maybe get some answers about my childhood, how I grew up, how was my, like, how were my parents, how was my childhood, how was it really, versus what I remember.
0: Yeah, that's so true. That is one thing that's so true. I forget about that, how the way we see things as children versus what they really are, for example, I remembered my childhood growing up because I went from Russia to Israel to the US. And Mm -hmm. when I grew up in Israel, I remember it where I lived was like on the beach and it was so beautiful. And I remember a lot of positive memories in CERN Light because I was blocking a lot of other memories. And it was crazy for me the first time when I went back to Israel, where I lived seemed suddenly very dark, very Mm -hmm. lonely, very quote-unquote poor area not poor but compared to the U.S. everything here is very open Mm -hmm. and everything's big the cars are big the buildings are big the houses are big it wasn't the same of where I grew up and it was almost felt like a letdown because it almost ruined my childhood memory Mm -hmm. of how I thought I grew up Mm -hmm. in the place and also my sister and I we had different memories I have quote-unquote daddy issues my sister doesn't because we have different memories of how our interactions with our father right so I think it is really interesting how two people can have completely different memories and
1: it it's cool it's interesting yeah i would love to go and see my life through my adult eyes versus again child and i almost want to make it like documentary style to where i bring people like and interview me i feel like i would be so emotional just learning about everything i'm going to need yeah (laughs) solid
0: Hi, everyone. Quickly taking a break from the episode. Um, Let me know if you like it so far. I'd love to hear your thoughts. But also wanted to quickly tell you about a new podcast that's out. It's called Talking It Out. And it's with your favorite bachelor alumni, Mike Johnson, which everyone knows he's really fucking hot and Brian of a solo. You hear all the time, if you're comfortable, you're not growing and that goes for everything from your career to your relationships, to the people you meet, to the conversations you have. And then talking it out is this new podcast that tackles all of these topics and everything Bachelor as well. So basically Mike and Brian dive into a variety of topics starting from love to relationships because they feel like they are kind of an experts from being on The Bachelor. And they'll cover all the ins and outs of dating, marriage family career and so much more plus you have a perspective of a man when it comes to dating and above it all Talking It Out is about having real conversations with actual experts and celebrities and to give advice to help you keep growing and of course Mike and Brian will talk with your favorite bachelor stars as well with no topics being off of limits so you don't want to miss it Talking It Out is available now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts or you can listen to Talking It Out ad-free just download the Wondery app and start your free trial of Wonder plus so don't forget to check out talking it out and now let's continue with my episode has um have your biological mother or father ever reached out to you especially after the show
1: no they have passed since a few years ago i guess both of your biological
0: parents passed Mm away
1: (laughs) as far as i know so i can't even go home and how how did you find out the news that they passed away um, I think my sister, my biological sister, mentioned that they both have. Is she still in Russia? She's still in Russia. And she told you that they passed What? Why did they each pass away?
0: Just old age?
1: No, I think something happened. I mean, there's alcohol, there's drugs in Russia, and maybe that's how my mother went. And with my father, I wonder if he was, uh, he was trying to get his feet under him when I met him before I came to America. And my sister was so proud and she wanted to stay with him. And I think eventually something happened, whether he got paralyzed or something and passed away. Was there in the same year or just, um, they passed away or was it different? I think it was different years, but it was within a few years I was in America. So it's been easily 10 years. When you
0: found out that each one of them passed away, especially your mother, since you grew up with her, did you feel a sense of guilt or regret uh, about that one day when you were five that you left and never looked back in a way or what was going through your mind when you found that out since this is going to
1: be very interesting if i listen this interview like 10 years from now because right now i'm going to tell you no i fended for myself so much while i was growing up because in a way i feel like i was either raising myself or somebody else had to step in day in day out to just be there for me and it's like, yes, she's a mother by blood, but was she really a mother?
0: If you had a chance to
1: say a few words to her right now, if she was back here, what would you say to her? Hell, what happened? <laughs> I think it's going to be more than that. I just uh, I don't, don't even know where to begin because I like my life now. I have a family and I know what the definition of a family is. It's like, why wasn't she around? I guess what was more important or why not? Put me up for adoption if she wasn't able to take care of her, or at least be with my dad if she wasn't around or someone. But in the way, I mean, I would, I'm still sitting here doing this podcast with you, so I think
0: If she told you that that was her way of showing you love, would you um, would you believe her? Like right now, looking back, do you forgive her
1: for what she how she raised you? Sure. I don't know how to answer that because again. I don't know. I feel like I would not be sitting here if things unfolded a different way. And I feel like I'm sitting here because I'm meant to be here.
0: If you could have one wish from God, would you have wished that you could have had a perfect life with your biological mother and seen how that would have ended with you living in Russia? Or you're just so thankful for your current life that you wouldn't even want to imagine a perfect life with her?
1: I can't imagine. I think... I don't know how to express my feelings right now towards that because I never knew what could have been I can't I, even envision it I feel like I'm, what you're
0: expressing is that you gave up on the dream of having a perfect family life with your mother at a very young age because I you have think, to learn how to fend for yourself and all that so
1: but I don't think I even knew what a perfect like a, right. yeah what a perfect family would look like because I was left at such a young age and if I think I think I have one memory where it was happy with my mom only one and it was, we were on the bed and we were playing this airplane where she would like put me up. Aww. And that's all, that's all I have. And I think that's the only m- moment I have of perfect life, if you would, like mother-daughter. Um, but other than that, I d- didn't know any better. Do you
0: feel like she taught you anything or maybe exactly what love is not? Because they always say that, the um, they there's a quote that says that um, the best way it's always the people who didn't love us that taught us the most about love. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like she taught you anything at all? Independence. (laughs) Like that. If you can go back into your life with growing up, is there anything that you would have
1: done differently? I I do wish I was nicer to my parents now during the adoption process. But I think I was so sad. I needed to be like in my own bubble for me to feel those feelings and go through that. And- I should have I been nicer and more open to the fact that they want me as part of their family. But again, the sadness outweighed the happiness that it's about to be.
0: Aww. Well, you know, you were just a kid and you can't, you have to be easy on yourself and forgive yourself if you weren't able to do something as, an, as a kid, you know, where we, you didn't know any better. Right.
1: I think I could maybe process like one emotion at a time. I wasn't like developed to process multiple and like compartmentalize certain things, I was just not there, my maturity.
0: So s- speaking of you know what kids go through when they're getting adopted older, which is the um, having issues with attachment and fear of love and all that, you clearly experience that. Do you ever feel angry yourself that you're not able to express love with some other people that you see? You know, where it just feels like it's so much easier for them.
1: I think I love differently. I'd say I'm loyal and I don't like the way I love it's like I'll be loyal there for you. I may not send you a card on your birthday, but I will drop and fly across the country to be there on your special day or something like that. It's not that I don't mean to. It's, I just want somebody to remember me as she'll be there whenever you need her. She might forget this or that or, but to some people, they'd rather get the birthday card every year and instead of those big gestures. it does
0: have you ever been in a serious relationship
1: this is a 180 (laughs) i mean sure yeah what was your longest relationship let's say okay i have two definitions of a serious relationship one that is serious where you actually learn so much about yourself the other person but it could be like eight months versus Mm -hmm. a two year where it's like you just go with the flow and it's a young love so the longest one was probably two years was it the most serious no because it was like high school transitioning into college. And then I had one in college that was also, I'd say, serious, but serious in a sense where it's like I was there for the person, letting them grow while I was being there for them.
0: Did you say I love you during those relationships, your partners?
1: Sure, but I don't think I knew the true definition of love.
0: So you just said I love you because it just felt in
1: the moment or they said it, so you said it back? Something like that something like that because you can love someone just be like oh i love you as a human or is it like do i love you and i think at the person died i truly felt like oh i love this person i don't know if we ever said it
0: so there was someone in your life that you felt like you love them yes. like love love but you mm-hmm. never said it to them right and it wasn't one of those two relationships no. you're talking about was it older like was it later on in your life yes was there a reason why you were scared of saying that word is it because you were scared that they're going to leave
1: It might have something to do with it, but we both had our own deep-rooted issues, and I think maybe that was the last kind of last thing that you would say that makes you completely vulnerable with that person. If you hang on to that, maybe it keeps you a little bit more rooted, like in yourself. Um, How do you phrase this? You know how you say, oh, I love you, and then it's like, okay we don't have anything to hold against each other, but if you don't say that I love you, it still keeps you a little bit at a distance because if they break your heart, at least you never said you love them. It's one of those things. It's so psychological and it's No, I understand now. So you're saying
0: you're protecting yourself, but you were keeping a distance because if you would have said I love you, then that's it and they walked away, then that's even more painful versus if you never said I love you, then maybe your heart would be a little bit more okay.
1: Right. And this is me being completely vulnerable in, say, in saying this. Just as individuals, we have so much we go through. And I understand there's things I need to work on.
0: Well, I think you're doing a great job. <laughs> Stop Thanks. crying. You're going to make me cry. I'm mean, emotional, I, can you tell me? <laughs> I think you're doing a great job. And I think... Um, I think one of the reasons I even wanted to do this interview aside from like hearing about your amazing life is because I also forgot about your upbringing and all that when I watched Bachelor Nation. And I think that's why a lot of of people may have rubbed them the wrong way when you were so um, you were just so more serious. And I think Mm -hmm. it has to do with your upbringing where something happens in your mind where you're like, I have to fend for myself and. I, I have to be there for myself and that's where you distance yourself. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. And I think like, that's why this interview has been so interesting to me because it explains why you are the way you are. And, and I don't think it makes you any less, um, you know, lovable than someone else just because you show your love differently. If anything, I think it makes, you, it makes you so much stronger than so many other people because of what you've gone through and it makes your love so much um, more real. Than other people because you know what it's like to not be loved and for you if to still be able to stand
1: there and be able to love someone like that takes strength you know i was reflect that's i'm independent and i'm good at loving other people to beyond to a fault to a fault
0: but you also deserve to receive back the love that you want to give to other people you know, know that like, right
1: i i do i do know that and again um i think more so now that I am becoming more of me and I'm reflecting on my childhood and the things I've gone through and I'm facing them, I'm recognizing them. I'm also learning what I'm deserving of and as much love as I give to the people that whether I've dated or have been friends with, it's time to realize that I deserve love too. And yeah,
0: and it's okay to put yourself first. You don't always have to give other people love and hope that they grow while they keep breaking you. I mean, you deserve to feel whole too, you know?
1: I wonder if, in a way, I was kind of testing my own strength, too. Just cute. Or it looks scared, too. Wow, this is getting deep. Never mind. Keep going.
0: <laughs> no, I love it getting deep. But it's much better to look back in life and um, regret saying too much than to look back in life and regret not saying enough. So I understand where you're coming from, where you said that it felt you felt safer keeping a distance where you didn't tell someone that they that you love them. But I think... I think it's much better to go on in life and knowing that you told someone they love you, that you love them because A, it's always nice to hear. And B, so fucking what? If they didn't love you back, then it's like they're lost, but at least you were able to feel such a wonderful, amazing feeling.
1: But I think that takes even more strength to be able to recognize and be that vulnerable and be able to stand on your own to feet at the end if something were to happen. And that's where I'm now. It's like, if I'm going to feel that way about someone, I'm going to tell them. Good. It's just, it takes time for things to come um, to fruition.
0: I completely agree with that because um, last year I was, I was um, dating some guy for like two months. And when we stopped talking, he started talking to another girl right away. And uh, right away, when they started talking to each other, they started calling each other babe and baby. And that's it's a very like American um, thing. And I'm the way I was raised, it takes me a while to even have like sweet nicknames to um, mm-hmm. a partner, and and I remember I had a conversation with my mother where I felt guilty, and I said, "Mom, is that why he wouldn't didn't stay with me? I regret that." When he called me babe or baby, I told him it made me uncomfortable because I'm just not there yet, and then it's so easy for those two.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I honestly forgot where That's I was going with this, but
1: <laughs> but, but, same, but she
0: told things. me that like you know. Don't reg- like don't feel bad because that is who you are and you're gonna find someone else that's gonna be understanding of that. I felt bad about being myself and I felt like oh if I was warmer then he would have stayed around he would have loved me and because I didn't give him the love that he wanted at that moment like this is this is why I'm I'm so unlovable like I think that's how it made me feel in that moment and I was jealous. But anyway, she told me that I shouldn't feel bad about the way I am and with the right person they're gonna take the same steps at the same time with me and also. That guy and that girl did not work out.
1: Not that it matters. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm so with you, mom. I think um, like you're you're feeling a certain way in the moment because there's a reason. And whenever in the future you can't look back and be like, "Oh, I should have done this," because that's not what you felt. Bad. Exactly. So like, so again, sometimes you have to protect yourself by not saying certain things, and that's tapping back into your intuition, your gut feeling, and if it doesn't feel right don't say it. I don't mean to keep
0: um, praising you, but you have no idea just how strong you are and how you were able to kind of have a constant glass half full type of outlook on mm-hmm. life. And I think that's where you are, where you're at right now. And I mean, that's literally amazing because you could have literally been bitter about your upbringing. You could have been bitter about what your mother was like, the lack of love. You could have been bitter towards your adopted family or maybe not felt love, but instead you took it all in and you kept going with it and that's why you're still able to sit here and feel loved and i think that's amazing and so you're able to sit here and even know what love is and your definition has changed over the years like that's mind-blowing to me
1: thank you for saying that <laughs> <Of course. laughs> you're so sweet yeah you have a very um, good p- perception of people and just like well very well-rounded view of a person aww. just sitting down with them whatever.
0: thank you i mean i try so i mean your story is just so amazing to me and I love just how positive you are. Cause again, like a lot of people wouldn't have survived your situation or would have been more negative about it or would have had a victim mentality. And it's just, you're just so strong. And I think that also makes me understand why you were the way you were on even Bachelor in Paradise, where it is kind of where people, growing up people have not been there for you. So you have to be there for yourself. Mm-hmm. That is part of being independent.
1: And I think you're right. Just being there for myself and the decisions I was making a lot of the time I was making it for myself. So, how could I be angry with the st- choices that I've made? I would exactly. have to be angry at myself all the time.
0: Exactly. And that's not a life to live. But I think, I'm hoping that as you've grown in your current family with your siblings, that you learn that you don't always have to be strong for yourself. Like
1: mm-hmm. you, I'm
0: learning. That's a tough one. Yeah. I'm even learning that. And we had different upbringings where I'm also learning that you don't always have to be strong for yourself. And sometimes it's okay to cry or it's okay to feel yeah. weak or feel like the victim. And it's okay to allow other people to be there for you because that really is the only way you survive. Being there mm-hmm. for yourself is great, but eventually I think it gets really lonely. So it's good to have people there. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And it's it good does. to open up. So I'm happy that you are still learning things about yourself and you know discovering.
1: Quite the life to live still and learn. I love, I mean, I love life and I love learning about myself the older I get. Do you love, would you say you
0: love yourself now?
1: Oh, yeah. Growing up, did you feel like you didn't love yourself? I didn't know. I just didn't think anyone loved me. I think I was, again, with loving myself and being there for myself, I had to do a lot of things. In myself. the it's orphanage,
0: like... was there ever musicals like Annie? <laughs> I just had to make it lighter,
1: like, I love lighten it. up. Like, was there ever, no.
0: like, there was no, so Annie no. was not in the orphanage with you and there was no what? musicals. We made our own musicals. We did our own shows. Okay. Was it like, <laughs> it's like a hard, not life.
1: Uh, almost <laughs> <laughs> no, stop it. Is that one of your favorite movies? No. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I don't know. No. I, I ever. Wait, I've seen any. I wonder if I've seen it in a play. I don't know if I've seen a movie. I love musicals, though. Me too. Is
0: there anything you feel like I didn't ask you? I, I really enjoyed our interview. You did? I really did. Thank you. Um, where can people find you? Primarily on Instagram. I mean, Christina Shulman. Christina Shulman on Instagram. Are you on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter? Um, Probably Facebook and Twitter.
1: TikTok, I have one follower.
0: I don't have any videos. Okay, so I think that's about it. I guess we're going to wrap this interview. Thank you again so much for coming on. And thank you you so much for opening up. That was amazing.
1: A lot of tears were shed. We should have had one with this.
0: Yeah, I know. 11, um, <laughs> 11 um, Of course, um, if there's anyone out there that has gone, that's ever been adopted or has gone through the process or has adopted, you know, feel free to reach out to Christina. Please do. Or if you want to share your experience with me as well. So feel free to reach out to Christina Shulman on Instagram or reach out to me. And I would love to hear about your experience, what you went through, uh, Viola Benson, or also Too Tired to Be Crazy on Instagram. This will also be on YouTube. So don't forget to catch that. And, um, I think, yeah, that's about it. So thank you guys so much for tuning in for another episode of Two Talk To Be Crazy with me, Viola Benson, on every Thursday. Please give me a five-star review. Give yes. me five stars and give me a kind review. I really need them and I really appreciate them. And again, thank you guys so much for listening and I'll see you next week. Bye.